Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Real quick announcement I wanted to make before today's episode. We are super excited because we just released six new financial modeling training courses on Wall Street Oasis. You can check it out on the homepage, wallstreetoasis.com or wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Um, we're super excited because it includes Excel modeling, valuation modeling, DCF, LBO, M&A, financial statement modeling, basically anything you will need to master financial modeling and hit the ground running day one. Definitely don't wait to check it out because there is an early access discount going on right now. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey. And this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Stephanie shares her winding path over her almost 20 years in finance. From getting a ton of responsibility early in her career for internal M&A at a big four, to her pivot into investment banking in DCM, she always seemed to find her way to rapid promotions and managing large teams. Learn what she feels set her apart and how you might be able to emulate some of that magic. Enjoy. All right, Stephanie, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So it'd be awesome if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Sure, absolutely. So um, I graduated a long time ago when the dinosaurs roamed the earth from undergrad. Um, You're only a year ahead of me. Don't make me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's good to know. So you yeah. had Triceratops, I had T-Rex. Yeah. Um, so graduated from undergrad, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Took an um, internal consulting job for a large Fortune 500 company at the time. Mm-hmm. Did that for a year. Realized I needed to understand finance more than I did. So went back for my MBA. Um, really didn't know what I wanted to do after that, but Wall Street sounded fun. Um, ended up working on a major restructuring, one of the largest ones at the time that had ever been done during my internship. Took a full-time offer with that, fun, or with that firm. Mm-hmm. Um, stayed there for a few years on M&A, both for clients and then moved internal to our internal M&A team. So more corporate development. Mm-hmm. Did that for a few years, really realized that I was missing half of the balance sheet. So most of what we did was equity, um, or cash in terms of deals. Okay. Moved okay. into debt capital markets at the time, I guess it was 2007, 2008. Um, so we were in the financial crisis and really got into commodity finance and infrastructure. And that's where I've spent the last 10, 12 years. Um, Did some time with some French banks, loved that, moved on to Brazil for about a year and a half, spent some time commuting, and then was down there full time. Um, Ended up being hired back to a consulting firm, a big four in the corporate finance group. 
uh, moved back to the US, built out a private placement team for infrastructure, then moved over to India for a few years to restructure that particular firm. Came back to the US in 2014 and helped build out corporate finance in that particular firm. Uh, we took it from about 15 people to over 100 in the course of two years. Amazing. Ran our private placement team globally, ended up running global M&A inbounds. And then about, um, about a year ago, partnered with somebody I had known for some time um, and started kind of thinking about a private equity fund, wasn't really sure you know, what the next step looked like, but we've done um, a significant number of deals in the last four, um, I guess four or five months. And so left in January from the sell side and moved to the buy side as the CIO for this fund. Congrats. It's a uh, big yeah, move. it's been kind of a ride. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting, the timing with everything going yes. So I will, I will tell all listeners, watch your career. So my career, typically right when I move is when a recession starts. <laughs> so the next time my LinkedIn profile says I'm changing my job, sell everything. It's like uh, you graduated right at the... Like right during the recession, 01, right? So right, right, exactly. So let's start all the way back there. And we'll, we'll try to go through quickly because you've had, had some really interesting kind of transitions and shifts um, throughout the way. But like, tell me a little bit about just undergrad background. Were you always like, you know, you, you majored in like business marketing, but was that always like, was finance on the radar? When, how to, what got you interested in that even? So finance, that's interesting. So no, finance was absolutely not on the radar. Um, finance was my have to, to get my business degree. Um, I loved marketing. I loved the idea, idea of being creative and didn't really see finance as a creative job. Um, so was a marketing and entrepreneurship mi a major, mm -hmm. uh, political science minor. I was a division one athlete for all four years. So had a lot of time um, in the pool. I was a diver. And really didn't Harry, I can't know. Believe, I, I don't know how people do that. I always it's freak actually, out. Like, yeah, I'm terrified of heights. It was a terrible choice. Really? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I just always freak out. Like if I, well, number one, I don't have the flexibility. I'd probably hurt, I'd injure myself in so many different ways <laughs> diving off a board. But okay, go ahead. So, <laughs> yeah, so did that for the four years. Um, you know, and when I graduated, it wasn't, I didn't have a clear vision of what I wanted to be. I thought maybe at some point, you know, by the time I was 50, I wanted to be the, a CEO, but that was kind of it. I mean, I didn't really know what, it, what that looked like. What about your parents? No guidance? No, like, hey, go in this direction or? Um, so friend? my mother is a psychologist, a clinical psychologist. My father actually started what is now Fortune 500 company um, in 1982. Wow. He IPO'd it when he was 30 and um, enjoyed 20 years in the Caribbean on a rum plantation and now owns a vineyard in upstate New York. So his guidance was find something where you can drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. His guidance was really find what you love um, and whatever it is that you love will make you happy and make you money in the long run. So um you know, I didn't, I didn't really know. So I had a job offer um, my senior year to go internal with a Fortune 500 company. It was really an internal training program. Yeah. Um, and you could spend some period of time out in the field. And then at um, the five, six you, month. How did you even land that? Like, was that, an internship? Center. Was, that like an in, was that like an internship or something like that, that went into a full-time offer, like your junior year, your summer? What did you do in the summers of just train for like 
diving? I just, yeah. So I trained and I coached. Um, so I coached, we had a, um, we had a, like a training program for kids at our university. So Mm -hmm. I was the camp counselor for diving. Um, and then I spent my summer training also. So I don't know how familiar you are with wall street oasis and, and, uh, the term hardo and all these people who are like (laughs) gunning now for like freshman summer internships in the perfect place and how crazy it's gotten. And I have recruited some of them. Yeah. (laughs) So, So, you know, I, it's interesting. I get it. I totally get it because you're, you're in this competition for the perfect job, but the reality is, you know, spending college to find kind of what you love and, and really explore the world. That's the one time you get to do it. Um, so it was always interesting on campus. I would go back to campus every year and, and recruit. Um, I always had the conversation. I've always had the conversations with the kids who had taken time to go overseas and do something different it was always much more interesting. Um, but you know, if you have a great internship, try to find something else to do during the summer so that you have Yourself, something else to talk something about. Something unique. Yeah. Something unique. Something there was unique. A, a guest I recently had, he kept saying just being unique. He yeah. was, he was from France, came and got his, he had already had a master's, got another MBA at Stern and that helped him like propel. Like people were like, Oh, this guy's interesting, different, you know? So yeah. um, that can definitely help. So, okay. So you're kind of just, you know, apply through the career center you're not like going crazy networking. You're really focused on your sport, uh, yeah. perfecting that. And so a lot of time goes there. You get this job at this large company as kind of a trainee, executive trainee, whatever they want to call it. And you quickly realized you didn't have like the skill set or, or what happened, like in, and, and why MBA and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So it was, it's a great question. Um, we went, so they changed the training program. It was an executive training program where you spent some period of time in the field and then you came back to corporate headquarters in whatever role you wanted. Um, they changed it as I went in and it became a in-field training program for seven years and then you could go to corporate headquarters. So I knew that that wasn't right. Um, it was a class of about a hundred and there were seven of us that said, we don't want to stay in the field for seven years. And so they pulled us out of that group and we effectively were internal consultants for the year. The company had just gone through a major acquisition um, on the retail side and we were responsible for integrating that acquisition, implementing the new procedures and then reporting back to headquarters, both financial and operational results. Now we're 22 years old, 23 years old, didn't really have a good handle of what we were reporting, but we did report things. Um, yeah, what I, I realized, would, I, I would think they'd have MBAs do that with like previous consulting backgrounds, but okay, maybe they, yeah, they saw no, you guys this really is, sharp, I mean, like, this just, is T-Rex days, right? I mean, we're, we're like operations a long go. time ago. <laughs> it was pre-Blackberry. Let's leave it there. Okay. Fair. Um, I remember yeah. So we, you know, it was interesting. We would go back to the corporate headquarters every month and talk about what we were seeing and the CFO and the CEO would come in and chat with us for 30 minutes. And they were very focused on the financial results, right? The integration of this acquisition and what it meant to their shareholders. Mm-hmm. So for somebody who had been a marketing major, really didn't focus on accounting and finance, it went over my head. And so in conversations really with my father, who had had his MBA from um, Carnegie Mellon, he said, you know, you prob- this is probably the right time for you to go back. So, um, on his guidance, yeah, I went back within the year. Um, I was the youngest in my class by several years, um, and ended up at the time, what was a top 20 finance program. Um, 
and it, it was a it was the perfect program for me. So not having the accounting and finance background, it was very finance and quantitative heavy. So it really kind of rounded out my skill set. Perfect. And, and that's so, how I ended up in my MBA. And so you were there, you kind of get a little more confidence, you get yeah. a little bit more with the accounting, the finance, you're ready to go. And yep. at this point you're thinking investment banking. No, just kidding. At this point you're thinking, <laughs> you're thinking what? Like, cause it's a two year program, correct? So that it was first, a two-year program. That yep. first so, summer, what are you recruiting for? Just like big. So I actually, I, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I still sort of thought I wanted to do consulting. Um, ended up, as I said, at a big four doing um, restructuring, which has a banking banking angle, but it's not really investment banking the same way that in a big We're, four that we might know it. Who were you advising, like the creditor side, the debtors, or was it? Uh, no, we were on the company side, the so company. Okay. working so. with the creditors. Got it. Okay. So, um, but really kind of running the PMO for the project management organization. Got it. Um, okay. it you know, it was a great experience for a 23-year-old who had really very little experience. Mm -hmm. um, well, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Even after that, I knew that it, I wanted that finance angle. What I saw was something that was very creative, much more so than I had thought finance to be. Mm -hmm. So they gave me a full-time offer. Especially restructuring, right? You have to get really you, creative. <laughs> you get very creative. It was a very large company. So um, kind of one of the two big ones that happened during that time. Got it. Um, so when I, I had an offer to go back full time, I said I didn't really want to go back to the group that I was in. I understood that I needed to really refine my valuation skills. Mm -hmm. And so I moved from the internship after my second year of my MBA um, into their valuation group for probably six months. Uh, it was enough to really build the skill set, but not enough to kind of challenge and push me forward. So okay. from there, moved internally to the corporate development team, which I still think was probably one of the best jobs I've ever had. And tell me why. Um, you know, so again, pretty young out of my MBA, mm -hmm. um, spent the better part of two and a half years traveling around the world, buying and selling companies for a large privately held partnership. Um, we had full partner capital to deploy. And this was, this was, you were buying companies for the big four firm? For the big four firm. So you were talking yeah. in consulting practices, stuff like that. Exactly. Oh, pretty yep. cool. So you're looking at the financials, you're looking at the everything and your everything, the people, how they report their financials, who their clients are, understanding their contracts, really getting into the nitty gritty of the operations of a business that I was part of. What were the sizes of some of these deals? Just range, just rough range. Um, most of them were fairly small. I would say most of them were kind of twenty five to seventy five million. We did a couple not so small. Uh, very well. I mean, <laughs> yeah. smaller. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a massive. You're not doing a massive like. It's not a massive merger with like another. You're 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 tucking no. in like complementary. Tucking yeah. in niche businesses, and then we we also spun out some businesses. So one of one of them at the time was the largest spin out that had ever happened there. It was about 200, 250 million. Um, how did so you that was an that, interesting. How did you get that job? It sounds like an awesome job. It was an amazing job because it's, um, you're super you know, young coming out of the MBA. Why did they let you go from valuation to that? to that group, does it, didn't a lot of people want that? Assuming they knew there was so much activity, it sounds like you did a lot of deals. We did, a, we did a lot of deals. Um, you know, the big four, the big four are phenomenal training houses. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're really great with people who are high achievers and very energetic and bring their best to work every day. 
Um, for me, it was just putting my hand up and saying, I need something more challenging and I'd like something that's faster paced. And, you know, I had been talking to um, some of the bulge bracket banks. I had one offer to leave and they said, well, we can replicate this internally. And I loved, I loved the firm. I liked the culture a lot. So it made so sense. I would really want to unpack that because yeah. I think what you said in terms of you had another offer from a bulge bracket bank, tell me when you started looking or did a recruiter kind of come after you uh, once they saw you were in a specific group at this big four, like how did that happen? And what was that conversation like? Because I know once you have another offer, sometimes you get that big raise internally, or sometimes you get that rapid promo because they don't want to lose you. They start, they, they realize what they have. Yeah. It, I, Honestly, it's so long ago. I don't I know. It's a long I'm time. sure there was, I'm sure there was a recruiter involved somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, like, were I, you, you know, looking like, were you actively looking at the banks to go to the investment banking side? I knew I wanted to go into M and A. So I, I had joined valuation really to hone my skills. Um, but I knew that it probably wasn't going to be the intensity that I needed. Is that the career. same thing as like transaction advisory services? Should I think of it? Yes, that's exactly. Okay. It's part of it. So it's, it. TS can involve any number of things. It can involve due diligence, um, Q of V's, but yeah, I was part of the valuation group. Q of V's meaning quality of earnings. Okay. Quality of earnings. Yeah. Great. Okay. <laughs> no, just yeah. for the people who don't. So valuation tends to be post-deal. So Q of V will happen pre-deal. Valuation yeah. happens post-deal and it's the purchase price allocation. So allocating the purchase price to the different assets of the company. So kind of accounting heavy. It's accounting heavy, but you know, it's a great skill set to have. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, people tend to undervalue accounting in the US. If you go to Europe, most investment bankers have one to two years of accounting somewhere in their background. And it, it makes you a very, very valuable yeah. um, well advisor. Well yeah, well absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, so you got this offer from a bulge bracket. Do you mind sharing what firm it was? Do you remember? Um, I do. It was, I was interviewing both with Goldman and UBS. I had a soft offer from Goldman and a hard offer from UBS. And it was for an associate, both for position? associate position post MBA? Both associate. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Those pay really yeah. well. They do pay really well, <laughs> but there, you know, there's a lot. But you more liked to, your firm. You liked, your I loved firm. my firm and there's a lot more to, there's a lot more to a job than just what you're making. Um, so the ability at, at the time I was probably 24, 25, mm -hmm. I had the ability to walk into the global CEO's office and give him my point of view on a company that we were buying. When we were negotiating a transaction, I could walk him through my assumptions in a model. And there was no amount of comp at Goldman or at UBS that was going to replicate that. Yeah, right? you'd, so, you'd be, as an associate, you'd be kind of almost tied to my desk. <laughs> Tied your desk, but also kind of a, a little bit more of a monkey, an Excel monkey and valuation. And Absolutely. <laughs> Rather than actually executing, like, it sounds like they give you a lot of leadership, really super young. Yes. Were, were you doing and negotiating some of these deals by yourself, uh, essentially? Or like, was there one? Not negotiating any of them. So we, it was a tight team. We were three, um, three staff, so under partner and three partners. That was it. And we did everything globally. So That's awesome. we had, we reported up to the chairman, the vice chairman of the firm and the chairman slash CEO, mm -hmm. and then the CFO. So those were the three that oversaw the six. Tell me what your mandate um, was. was like, and while I wasn't negotiating on my own, I ran the models on my own. I ran the assumptions on my own and then would report up to them where I thought businesses would fit in, succeed or fail. And what was your mandate? Like specifically, was it like, you have as much money as you like, were you guys actually doing the sourcing? Was there a separate, I mean, like, tell me 
the day-to-day, like how much was sourcing, how much was execution, how much was that stuff? And then we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's a good question. Um, so one of us was from TS, transaction services. One of us was from strategy. And then there was a kind of director level person on top of the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, the strategy person was really involved with the sourcing. Mm-hmm. And I was really involved in the deal and execution. So we sort of passed it between the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my colleague really did more of the sourcing than I did. And that came from the partners out in the market. And so can you walk through like an example? Do So like it would be sourced, brought in, eventually you guys get an LOI out. It's agreed to, then yeah. what? Then what? So, I mean, typically there was a lot of kind of, There was a lot of contract review before we got to LOI. So understanding the clients of the company, understanding how they generated revenue, understanding the tenor of those contracts, et cetera. Once we hit LOI, then it really came down to finalizing due diligence. I mean, these are small consulting firms, so they're not, you know, they're not manufacturing companies that have overseas assets that you're trying to diligence. It's really getting down to people, contracts, that's your revenue, right? How many people, how much are they billing, how many hours a day? Um, So from a a diligence perspective, it was really more contractual. Um, And then it would just be not only refining, you know, the models and and then the documentation, but really think about how we brought people into the organization and most importantly, how we integrated within the organization. Um, You know, that's where M&A typically falls apart is the integration piece. So having that experience pretty young was helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would work with the lines of service where those companies were getting integrated to think about the acquisition and the integration plan. Um, but you know, I mean, documentation was fine. Everything was cash and equity. So it was pretty easy. We wrote a check. We did have an unlimited mandate. Um, anything that was under a hundred million went one way. Anything that was over a hundred million had more steps involved, but it, it wasn't, And do you know how much uh, across the three years that you were three plus years that you were there in that group, you know what, how much you put to work or how much you actually purchased total approximately was like 200 Uh, million. Oh, more than that. I mean, in terms of bought and sold and restructured, I mean, because we did some interesting things with putting together parts of countries and partner capital and, Mm-hmm. Um, redeploying that it, it was probably between five and seven hundred million. Well, it's a lot. So, so you were busy. You were busy. You were busy. Yeah, I mean, for three for three people, it was a lot. <laughs> so, tell me why move. It sounds like you have the ear of top level executives. Didn't they want you to be the next one up at some point? Why did you felt? I mean, I kind of get the sense that there was, you know you wanted to see the other side of the balance sheet. Like you said, you wanted to get a little bit more of experience on the debt side or not just writing checks. So tell me a little bit about that and that thought process. Yeah. So it it really was more around seeing a gap in my own education. Um, You know, at the time um, I had a number of friends from business school that had moved into capital markets, DCM, ECM. And, you know, there was this whole idea of M&A being funded with debt. And, you know, at the time I'd, probably couldn't have told you the difference between how a loan and a bond operates, um, what the nuances were. And so, you know, at some, at some point you can ignore it and then you can't ignore it. And then you realize you need to do something about it. Um, it really, you know, was fairly fortuitous and that had a friend of a friend whose father ran a DCM group 
um, at a French bank. And we sat down one day for a cup of coffee and just had a conversation. It wasn't really a planned interview or headhunter. It just sort of happened through networking. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked a little bit about when I started. But had you, had you been kind of searching in that last year at the big four? Like had you? Really? Yeah. I, I really loved my job at the time. Yeah. Um, had it, had it changed in the, over across those three years that they just gave you more responsibility and you're doing more, more responsibility. And every time I would sort of get a little bit itchy to leave, they said, okay, well, how can we make this more fun and more interesting? So did your pay I mean, accelerate as well? Pay accelerated exposure, accelerated travel, accelerated. I mean, it, it was all very good. Yeah. Um, and you know, as you look back on your career, there are points where you're like, huh, what would have happened if? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't regret the change, but you know, I was in a very good spot. And when you're in your early twenties, you never really appreciate how good you have it. Interesting. Yeah. So do you mind sharing range of pay? I mean, I assume when you started post MBA, you're getting something like the one, 100 to 150 range. And then it, um, I or, think back then it was like 95, like base, but then base. And yeah, then there was bonus on top of it. Yeah. And, so like low hundreds initially, and then did yeah, it ramp up right. really fast, like to similar to banking associate, and given that you had the banking associate level, did they get you close to that? Like it's closer to three to 400? Um, well, remember, so when I made that switch over, we were going into the financial crisis. Yes. So well, it was 07, right? I was probably close to the 300. I meant the last few years at, okay. At, at the, yeah. Okay. So there was probably closer to that range. That's um, That's great. And maybe you know, not quite that high to 75. Maybe okay. that's helpful. Okay. Just give um, people a perspective of like, you had a little bit of more of a life. Um, but I had, it was a great life. I mean, I worked a lot. I worked probably 80 to 90 hours, but it wasn't 110 hours. Yeah. Okay. You know, had, I had free range. It was, it was a great job. A lot of responsibility. Yeah. A lot of responsibility and a lot of fun and a great team of mentors. Cool. Um, yeah. So, you know, at at the time though, it just seemed like it, it was time for me to move. Um, most people would disagree with that, but that's how I felt. Um, and so you had that conversation. It kind of was, just a little bit serendipitous and not nothing planned. And he just said, Hey, I have a spot for you. Uh, not, not quite that simply, but not so different than that either. So he ran debt capital markets at a French bank. Um, at the time, this was kind of mid 2007, maybe yeah, July, August. Mm-hmm. Um, they were thinking about setting up a specialized securitization team. And some of the first transactions I had worked at, um, out of on out of my MBA and the valuation team were biotech bioscience kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and so we started talking about the idea of a um, biotechnology securitization, which seemed great in two thousand and seven before the markets ended. Um, but you know, so anyway, he we spent an hour talking about it, and he was like, well, let's talk about it again. And we spent a couple of weeks talking about it and talked to some people internally, and he brought me over as a VP, and uh, then the market changed. And so as a banker, you evolve. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, the timing. You're talking about securitization and all this stuff, and then that's like exactly what the bubble was. Exactly right. Exactly <laughs> so right. Like, so It's almost like you joined it like at the last second. Was at that the like- last moment, and then pop. You're like, so that's what was, that was your point. Anything, anytime you make a jump, it's like right before, uh, 
Maybe. Right, when it changes. Yep. Okay. So, so, yeah. So tell me a little bit about what happened because it's like, it's almost like you're in DCM and DCM just explode. Like it's just a disaster. It did implode, but there were parts of it that were fine. Um, so I moved over to project finance, did some commodities banking, project mm -hmm. finance banking, really loved it. Um, you know, you I, I didn't think I would like, but you moved on pretty fast, correct? From that role. Yeah. With, I mean, within the same bank, but probably within three or four months. Okay. Okay. No, but I mean, um, the firm overall, you moved as well, right? Like under, under a year. Yeah. So that was an interesting, that was an interesting move. It wasn't a planned move. Um, the CEO from the bank I was with moved to the other bank and took 50 of us with him. Okay. And so I was part of the same team, just at a different bank. Fair. Okay. Um, That's less of a real move. It was less of I a real move. I won't count that because you're working with the same team. Same team, two MDs okay. on either side of me, same two MDs, just okay. different view. So yeah, tell me about how that evolved then over those couple of years where you were doing the, on the debt side. Did you feel like you, know, you learned it, a ton at first and then it plateaued pretty quickly or what? No, it, it didn't at all. It was a great experience. Um, so I sat on a structuring team. So we structured into the most efficient execution market, market of execution. So we did loan syndicate, we did private placements, we did 144As, um, I have a few no Euro bonds. This stuff is. So tell me, can you, for the listeners that don't know or aren't educated on debt, I mean, yes. I did restructuring, but it's been a long time. So can you give me like a little bit, just a, a little example? Yeah. Of like what so loan, loan syndicate is a loan that is syndicated into the market more broadly, right? Typically you're the underwriting bank or there are four or five underwriting banks. Mm -hmm. um, and then they sell it, they sell down their positions into a broader bank market. Um, you know, and those are bank loans. So they're typically um, floating rate. Publicly Sorry? traded. Publicly traded. Um, loans that are they're floating on um, the market or are you yeah i mean it, it's not very public public but they were traded okay so the syndicate did trade okay um our private placement desk sold into the insurance market so funds like firms like aig metlife they have huge bond desks mm -hmm. and so we would structure into those markets um the 144a market you know, it's quasi public private. It was a newer market at the time. Um, same buyers for the most part. Okay. Um, so insurance companies, asset management companies, firms like PIMCO. Um, These firms, the clients were coming to you trying to help and you were helping structure and raise debt for them basically. Yeah. So all of different it. And helping syndicate it, helping doing all that. Yeah. So we would, we would take the transaction. We would typically work with the commercial banker who had the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and then we would structure the transaction. So, you know, where do we get the best execution? And then we would price it and put it into the market. So we worked both kind of with the commercial banking side mm -hmm. who had their relationships with the clients and were typically the underwriters on the straight loans. And then on the other side, we had relationships with our syndicate desk. We sort of sat in between the two. Got it. So we knew what the market was doing. So tell me a little bit about your kind of progression on that side and, and um, what led to your next move. I, I find the transitions the most interesting. So I always harp yeah. because I think there's a lot of insight into like, was, I mean, that, or was it like a plateau? Was it like initially it was you wanted to learn on the debts, you want to get more on the debt side. So you, you had that after a couple of years. Yeah, I had that. It was, um, you know, it was a, it was a great transition. So again, I think my experience my first job, it's a big four job, which wouldn't tell you that you're going to have an investment banking career because of the maturity that I had to develop. 
and being in the office with the CEO, CFO, day in and day out. Um, I ended up being very, getting to know the CEO of this particular bank very well. And he asked me to really think about how we wanted to restructure the Latin American portfolio. It was all commodity based. Um, and so I went through our books and found, you know, who we were lending to. We had lots of lots of loans, but they were like $20 million, $40 million. They were meaningless for companies like Anafagasta, Vale, um, Pemex. And so we really spent a year, year, year and a half going through the strategy of how do we restructure that book and create meaningful positions. So one of the positions we took was a, um, was a combined cycle power plant in New York, that one deal of the year in 2009, it was over a billion dollars. We did a, um, one of the largest deals out of Mexico in that same time, it was a $500 million underwriting, which in 2009, when the world was falling apart, those were big deals to get done. Yeah. But it was really relooking at those positions. Because when you of say that- looking at the, the book, I mean, these were loans that were on the books for this bank, but they just hadn't been looked at forever and you guys hadn't tried to generate new business from those same, same clients. Exactly. So we were basically prior to that, we were the, we were the syndicate, we were taking the syndication, right? So like somebody would call us up, bank of America would call us and say, Hey, do you want $40 million? And we're like, great, that's fantastic. But as a result, you're meaningless, right? I mean, $40 million in a, you know, several hundred billion dollar company, who cares? Got it. So right. you're just clipping your coupon and then, you know, whatever. Um, exactly. Okay. And so we, we, as those loans rolled off or as we could force companies into a different direction, we mm. did. Um, and so we tried to put more balance sheet to work to become more meaningful and, and partner with them. So larger positions in a smaller number of deals? Smaller number of companies. Yeah. Okay. That led to me in Latin, in Latin America quite a bit. Um, got you, were in, to, you were in Brazil for five months? I was in Brazil. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was going back and forth to Brazil Reconnected with, um, at, at the time, the CEO of, a, of an African bank who was an alumnus from my business school, and we had a great time brainstorming, you know, what the strategy of that bank might look like, and ultimately asked me to come over and help um, restructure the structured trade team. Wasn't really the right fit, right time, um, so it was a very short stint, but a fantastic opportunity of learning about yourself and how to kind of have grace under pressure very quickly. And why do you say that? Just because it was like a pressure cooker there? It, it was, it was, there were a lot of politics that I wasn't privy to until I got there. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, so like you got there, you were the person they all wanted to have their, your chop your head off because you're the new person supposed to like <laughs> threatening their job. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. And you know, nobody really he tapped you as the savior. You come in and then everyone like hates you. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, they absolutely did. I mean, I, one of the people on the desk at the time was like, I will make you hate Brazil so much. You never come back. <laughs> and awful. I haven't been back since then. Wow. So tell me so, what, what type of stuff yeah, were, he you, did. were you forced to kind of go through and, and like, it's kind of touchy because you can't really like you have the backing of the boss, but he also doesn't want like a mutiny on his hands. Yeah. Well, and he was on his way out. So by the time my visa was done, he had, he was on his way. Oh, that's nice. Like of he him. Was, yeah. He was getting pushed out. So, I mean, I was basically like just facing knives. Um, you know, it was basically like being in high school and being bullied again. It was a lot of fun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so. Okay. So, I mean, it makes sense why you left. Yeah. Um, you know, but- it was, it was a good experience. We got a few deals done that people were like, you'll never get this deal done. You'll never get it through committee. 
Um, we did a silver trade with a Mexican company. We did a couple of other very structured commodity deals. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular bank was known for commodities. So why was there got, doubt that you wouldn't get it done because they were tough deals like to get through through committee meeting, like to get approval from the top or whatever? It was it was a new type of deal. It wasn't plain vanilla. Got it. Um, and it was a bank that was used to plain vanilla. And so to do something structured, to do some the American in Brazil, you know, what do I know? What, you can't even speak the language. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay, fair. <laughs> so <laughs> you you quickly realized this was not the place to be. You're getting uh, getting. I was going to get shot, whether or not I liked it. I, I mean, it was going to come. So yeah, if yeah. I stayed, I was going to. I probably would have gotten fired. And yeah, you know, getting fired in Brazil is very different than getting fired in New York when you're an American. So. Um, I actually, I had dinner with one of the partners from the first big four where I first started, right? And so if, if anyone takes anything away from this crazy story, mm-hmm. it's manage your network and stay true to your network. Um, I had dinner with a partner from a big four who was my manager way back when. And, you know, now he was a partner at another big four and we were walking through this situation and he was like, you're going to get fired. And I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, well, let's make sure you're safe. So he had, there was a team in another big four. It was all um, infrastructure and commodity based. And they were partnering that team, that consulting team with corporate finance, which is mid-market investment banking. They wanted to build out private placements. And he was like, you'd be perfect for that. So come back to New York, come for a year, help us build, and then you can go back to banking. And honestly, it was the most gracious thing anyone's ever done for me. Um, he was like, oh, you why? You're, so help, you're, helping, you're helping them too. Um, it was, you know, it was like the timing. They, it didn't necessarily, it was You were in a bad there. spot. You were in a bad spot. I was in a tough spot and they, they weren't planning on hiring that person for probably another year. And they're like, but they realized that you had, you had kind of the perfect mix of experience. Yes. to be able to lead that. And so it was a nice fit. They're like, oh man, I guess we're going now. <laughs> we're going now. Yeah. We're going now. But yes. Tell me about that. So, that. You were there for a long time. I, yeah. And you know, of all the things that surprised me in my career, that that's the one. Um, I, almost a decade. By a few months, almost a decade. Yes. Okay. Um, sometimes it feels like longer. <laughs> and sometimes it, it went like in a moment's notice too. I mean, it was, it was a great experience. So tell me a little um, bit about like, uh, yeah, the, the whole progression of you're initially just brought in to do, you know, that for a few years and then how, how everything progressed, how should people think about like these, these interesting kind of, I almost call them bridge roles that you seem yeah. to, you seem to be playing a lot of bridge roles where you're, you're kind of sitting in between two different divisions. Mm-hmm. Tell me, like, how did you position yourself for a lot of these? Do you feel like it was serendipitous or do you feel like it was something you were doing intentionally because you were getting different, like you had the equity side, then you had the debt side. Was that why it was all happening or why? You know, really from, from my VP days, so 10, 12 years ago, the one thing people always said about my resume, they're like, we really, we don't know what to do with you. Right. You're not a straight M&A banker. You're not a straight DCM banker. Um, and I actually think it served me remarkably well. It's allowed me to pivot. It's given me a broader base of experience. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got, um, one of my mentors at uh, one of the French banks had put me in touch with, at the time, the then CEO of the Americas of Bank of America, right after they merged with BAML, and, or with Merrill Lynch, and became BAML. 
Um, and so I had, I had lunch with him and he said, you know, I said, I don't know what I want to do. I've done m and I'm doing DCM. And he said, don't undervalue either of them. The best M&A bankers have DCM experience because they understand how a deal gets done. Right. And the best DCM bankers understand why that bond or that loan is being done from M&A. So see the bigger picture. Um, and, you know, at the time I was like, that's great advice. Looking back on that now, 10 years later, that was the best advice I ever got in my career. Mm. Did you see did you the bigger picture? Like, did you feel like um, you had already kind of done that, though? Kind I feel of, like you were, you're already kind of doing that. I get it. I get it. It's like you agreed with it and it ended up serving you really well, no doubt. But like, I feel like you were already like headed down that path. I think he was trying to like tell you to relax because it would take care of itself almost a little bit because maybe. Probably. Because like you had it, you had the M&A, you had the, you had a lot of the M&A really young. Um, well, most, I mean, most people who go into investment banking want to have a thousand deals done yesterday, right? right? And, and, you know, one of the, one thing people continue to say, and even to me today, you know, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Yeah. So take your time, like have a, have a progression, have a plan and then roll with the punches because there are a lot of them. Tell me about staying with one firm for so long versus like all the options of, you know, cause you get value, you unlock some value when you do jump typically, like you can either get a promotion or a pay salary. Rate. It's short-term value. Short-term. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your decision to stay with another big four for almost a decade. Um, after all of this, was it more like you felt you're, you're constantly being challenged and they were promoting you so fast or what, what was that? Um, it was purely accidental. Like I said, I mean, I, I thought I'd be there for a year. Um, why only a year you thought you were going to go into banking? I thought I would go back to banking. Um, and you know, I, I love the intensity of investment banking as most investment bankers do. Mm -hmm. Um, or at least investment bankers that stick around until they're MD, they really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's a great, it's a great story and I don't want to bore everybody with a very long story, but, um, I joined this firm to build out infrastructure um, private placements, and we won a $60 billion advisory contract within two weeks of me joining. And the... You were responsible for that, right? No, just kidding. Yeah. So we wrote, I wrote the proposal. I was the single director at the time on that proposal. Are there were serious? four partners. Yeah. Yeah. It was a huge deal. And, and one of the partners said to me, he's like, you know, congratulations. This is your ticket to partner. Now the story gets better. It, it seems very clean and fantastic. Like you got, you arrived and you're like, ta-da. Boom, <laughs> done. Yeah, that's not how it played out. Okay, so tell so me how we it got, out. We, you know, we spent six months negotiating the contract. We had won it away from another big four who had partnered with Lehman before they had folded. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a huge deal for us to win it. We were a new team. We were a young team. Mm -hmm. um, and we finally got to- What does that even mean? Like it was just like you guys were going to be their advisory. Like you were going to be all the pure advisory for that. So from strategy through raising the capital through construction Got management. Got it. Okay. Everything. Okay. Yeah. So start to finish. Um, it's a lot of revenue for you guys. It was a lot of revenue. Yes. <laughs> it was a lot of revenue over a very long period of time. So it was sustainable Do you mind revenue. sharing around? Is Are we talking like 10 million, 50 million, like? Um, it would, would have been between 25 and 75. Okay. So I wasn't that far off. Okay. No, no, I had not no at clue. all. <laughs> okay. That's a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah, yeah. Good guess, by the way. Okay. So Buy a lottery ticket today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So 
seemed like great. You're like, everyone's saying, congratulations, you're going to make partners super fast. What happens? Um, so six months negotiating the contract, we have to go on public record to do the contract. We finally get through all of that. We get to the contracting, our risk management calls and said, you know, you need to get back on the plane to New York. Why? Well, because our, our FINRA charter allows us to do M&A, but not capital raise. I'm like, someone probably should have checked that before I joined. Uh, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we actually handed that contract back to the firm that we want it from. Um, you know, and, and then they were like, we don't know what to do with you. So as happens with everyone in their career at some point, about a month later, a partner called me or MD, you know, take your pick wherever you are. And he's like, there's this guy in India. He needs to raise a billion dollars, get on a plane. And so I did. And turns out that it was mother Teresa's heart surgeon who, when she had woken up from heart surgery, she looked at him and she said, your job is to deliver this at a low cost to the masses. And he spent the rest of his career up to that point perfecting open heart surgery. His, it cost him a fraction of what it would cost in the US mm. and his delivery results were the same as the best three heart hospitals in the US. Wow. And so moved to India ultimately and spent the better part of two and a half years both working internally, um, kind of taking the role I'd had at the first big four um, firm that I worked for from an Asia, India perspective, and then working with this particular client, helping set up his strategic plan for how he would build that heart hospital through India and ultimately globally. Um, we partnered him he, with how did three were, different. It was just, how did he have even, you know, as a surgeon, you don't have that much money, right? So how did he have backing already? Yeah, I mean, he he was from a fairly well-to-do family, as typical um, okay. overseas. So, so he they already had like the. It was more about like they needed help, just advice. They, they had they had a, a phenomenal hospital in wow. Bangalore, and then they had to build out um, other other wow. centers. Okay, so you're there for a couple of years, and tell me what that was like. It was amazing. It was the hardest and best thing place I've ever lived. Right? I mean, every day you go through ups. This is the best day of my life and downs. I can't live until tomorrow here. Um, you know, sometimes the internet would just get shut off and some guy would show up and say, madam, we need a thousand rupees or 5,000 rupees and we'll turn your internet back on. Um, I had my first child while we were there. So, you know, trying to move into parenthood, our, our son, his first word was dirty. You know, <laughs> most babies are mama, dada, his was dirty. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, it was an interesting experience. It was great fun though. Okay. So you're there for a few years. You help them raise mm -hmm. a bunch of capital. It's a success. It was a success. Yeah. They're, they're doing great today. They're one of the leading hospitals in the region. Awesome. And so did you come right back to New York or like, I got to get back to New York or what was the, what was the path then? Um, no. So, you know, kind of, as we've talked about the big four change and they do a lot of different things. And so um, ultimately our time overseas ran out and they said, you know, where do you guys want to go on the table was um, I think we had Burma someplace else and New York. And we both felt like New York was probably right. I was at the time pregnant with our second and had already done overseas childbirth once and wasn't really planned planning on doing it again. Um, so we moved back to the safety of uh, Fairfield County, Connecticut. Very nice. And then and came back to New York. And you were 
started working in more kind of cross-border M&A and stuff right away? Or what, what were you doing? Kind of yep. So um, working on in corporate finance, which was cross-border M&A mm-hmm. um, and doing really helping the company. So in that time, they had rewritten the FINRA charter so that we could do private placements. And so really spent the time kind of educating the partnership on what private placements were, mm-hmm. um, rebuilding those relationships with investors, and then ultimately rebuilding that business. Very cool. Maybe at some point you could do a course on private placements for us, for, for the listeners. Fantastic. They're, they're <laughs> so much fun. They're great. It's, it's of, of all the markets for execution, I think that that's the one that's the most bespoke. It's so personable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really a joy to work with those investors. So tell me a little bit about this latest move, January, only five months ago. Um, five months ago, I know. What, what kind of, so of course you jump and set up your, kind of set up your own uh, shop and, and the world yeah. falls apart, but um, let's talk a little bit about it. <laughs> well, obviously, because I moved. So, you moved. so this the fall- world fell apart. You said initially you were kind of thinking maybe private equity fund. This is an infrastructure focused fund. Tell me, are, do you have LPs set up? Like what's the status of where you're at right now? And We do. So we've, um, we've made over 150 million of investments in the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already realized one asset. So, um, so that's the 150 is not including that asset. Um, you know, and, and while I've only been here since January, I've been working with the team for well over a year at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, kind of knew what I was coming into, um, you know, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. There's a lot of creativity and entrepreneurialism in setting up your own shop. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have, I've partnered. You started it with, you were one of the founding people with this. Um, so the founder started a bit before me and then, before, and then you came in as yeah. a, we'll cut the chief investment officer, we'll call it. Yeah. So what is your role overseeing? Is it, are you on like the investment committee and you argue with them over doing certain deals or not? Yes, that's basically it. So I, I have the, I have the privilege that our CEO is probably the single best operator of the assets that we're invested in, in the country. Mm. Um, he, he's spent his entire career in this asset class. He knows it better than most, um, but really knows how to optimize them well. And so, you know, my background is really structuring. His background obviously is operational and it, it's a nice, it's actually a really nice complementary skill set. Um, we have our operations team. We've got a CFO who's fantastic and then have our analysts that do a lot of the work. Um, and so should I, should I think of this fund as very operationally focused, not so much on, uh, not so much financial engineering, but you guys are actually going in working with the asset for how many years, like what's the typical hold period for you or what's the, it really depends. Um, you know, I would say our our fastest hold period has been two years. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I I would say typically, certainly right now, I mean, who knows? (laughs) I would say, you know, probably three to five is typical for us. Okay. Um, you know, it's for, for assets like this, you know, they're, they're hard assets. They're attached to large major infrastructure projects. So if you think about a port, an airport, um, a city center, mm. you know, we're somehow connected to that. So those assets don't move, right? Yeah. They stay there for into perpetuity. And so, you know, we have the benefit of really kind of micro-focusing on what we want to change to optimize the, the performance of that asset, sit on it until, um, until it's time to sell, but they're, they're great cash flowing assets. You know, we, we don't over leverage. So in terms of your question for financial engineering, mm-hmm. you know, unless we're looking at a very specific type why, of- Why wouldn't you leverage up on something that's so stable with, with steady cash flows? For, exi- so, for 
for for situations like for this? right now that's <laughs> why you do it because when nobody goes to the airport and you have you know significant cash reserves and you're not over levered you're really happy um, you know, I, I will say I we've that, managed like these. This is such a once in a hundred year thing. Aren't you leaving a lot of return on the table? Uh, I mean, we, it's not that we don't use leverage. Okay. We just don't over leverage. So, you know, okay. I would say over levered, over levered assets probably are somewhere between 75 and 85% leverage, mm-hmm. um, maybe slightly higher. You know, we, we typically, our portfolio is probably 60 to 65 okay. Um, So it's not that we're not using it, but it gives us a lot of flexibility, you know, through this period, we haven't had to have a capital call. Um, You know, we've been able to manage our assets to cash flow and have our banks have been great working with us. So we've got good partners. You're in a good seat. Yeah. This is super interesting story. I'm happy you came on. Thank you. Thanks for agreeing. So before we leave it or call it, anything else you want to share first about the firm you're now working at or anything else you want to share, just advice to younger professionals or the younger listeners out there because you're making yeah. me feel old calling me t-rack <laughs> and you know my gray beard here <laughs> <laughs> but anything else you want to share with them before like i mean your your path is is very interesting it's, it's it, lots of twists and turns obviously and some some kind of unexpected kind of stumbles along yeah and stumbles yeah it's, it's interesting i think it's really you know i would say every situation you can learn something um, the thing that gets you from wherever you are today to MD or whatever role you ultimately want is a positive attitude, a work ethic that's exceptional, attention to detail, and a humility that a lot of people lose along the way. Um, when you are humble and you're grateful for the experience, you will find something positive and you will turn that opportunity into a better opportunity. So, you know, if those are the things that you can hold on to, I, I would, I would say that that, that is what has served me well. For sure. I think people love humility. I think I didn't have enough of it when in my twenties. I think it's hard. It, it's super it's hard. hard when you're like doing really well and getting big bonuses and you're like, you think you're a hot yeah. shot and then, <laughs> and then boom, <laughs> life hits. Yeah. And then boom. And then <laughs> we have coronavirus and the world stops and all of a sudden you're just like everybody else. But you know, the, the people who really are, humble and gracious and grateful they're a pleasure to work with and those are the people that you want on your teams and so if those are you know you'll always as an md the one thing i i feel very loyal to are my teams and so the people who have those traits are the ones that i'll always protect yeah you know and so you know as a junior person those are the things you really want to hold on to awesome i love it i think we'll end on that because it's pretty pretty uh applicable for this this situation this market so absolutely stephanie thanks so much for joining really appreciate my pleasure thank you so much for having me it was great